place is important. We are tied inextricably to certain spots, to the dirt beneath them, the wood and stone that constitutes them, to brick and mortar. It was true when Solomon prayed for the new temple, and it is true today. You know, we had a big clean-out day here a couple of weeks ago. And church facilities, as many of you know, like households, tend to accumulate a lot of stuff over time. And while we were clearing out a closet here, buried deep within was a shovel. It was decorated with the red, white, and blue colors of the Presbyterian Church USA and had our denominational seal on it. It also had a date, September 1993. It was covered with signatures from people in the church at that time, some of whom are sitting in this sanctuary right now. It was the groundbreaking shovel for the ceremony that took place on this property. When that shovel entered the dirt here in 1993, The only other structure around was that White House across the street. There was no Legends Club, no apartments, no Mormons, no Methodists, just the dreams of a band of Presbyterians and open fields in the shadow of Roper's Knob. So why keep that shovel? It was a marker, a way of remembering a marker that this place, this land, the dirt beneath our feet was and is a place where God is at work, where hundreds of people will and have encountered God in the waters of the font of baptism, in the bread and wine at the table, in the word read and proclaimed from the pulpit. It's a place where people will enact some of the most profound moments of their lives. Couples will stand here and make vows to one another. Babies will be baptized in this place. Students will be confirmed. Lives will be celebrated as we witness to the resurrection in funeral services. That's why you keep the shovel, to mark the significance of this place, to mark the magnificence of this place, the dirt beneath us, the wood and stone that constitutes this edifice, the brick and mortar. The valuing of place is a part of our tradition, tracing all the way back to Solomon and even before Solomon's temple. After he had overseen the construction of what is described as a magnificent structure, and moved the Ark of the Covenant from where it was into the inner sanctuary of that new space, he gathers all of the people to call upon the God whom the highest heaven cannot contain, much less this temple that is being dedicated. Even so, Solomon calls upon God to bless the space that God's eyes will never close on the temple, night or day, that God's name will be invoked there. The tiny nation of Israel 
surrounded on all sides by threats, proclaims that the God who made all things has made covenant with them. A covenant not just for them, but for the blessing of the world. God's steadfast covenant is what binds them to the temple. And when they pray toward that holy place, they are remembering that covenant and calling upon God to remember as well. When they fall short, they call on God to listen to them, to heed and forgive, as the text says. When they make pilgrimage to the temple, they do so knowing that the God who makes covenant is faithful. When they sing psalms, their mouths praise the one who sustains them. Babies will be dedicated in that temple. Sacrifices will be offered. Pilgrimages will be made. The sacred calendar will be lived out within its walls. Feast days and fast days, New Year celebrations, harvest thanksgivings, the reading of the scroll of the Torah. When they make pilgrimage to this temple, the singing of the Psalms, the rhythm of the people's lives circulate around its walls. And I was not here for that groundbreaking in 1993, nor was I here for the dedication of this sanctuary and the rest of this facility when it was constructed and finished in 1994. But I am sure it was a day of celebration and anticipation Celebration of all the work, the planning, the generous gifts, the anticipation of all that would happen within these walls, all that God would do. Now, I was around when we refurbished this sanctuary. And as part of that refurbishment, the concrete flooring beneath all of our feet was exposed before the new floors were to be put in. And we asked people to come and sign the concrete. And it was so heartening to watch families come together in this place and kneel on the floor with black sharpies and write prayers and hymn texts and favorite scriptures and their names and sometimes the names of saints long gone, but who are part of this family of faith. It was a kind of renewal of the dedication that had come before. It was this generation's naming of the importance of this place, this foundation beneath our feet. And then what a remarkable day it was when on a cold Advent morning, we stood out in the courtyard and set fire to our mortgage note on the same grounds where that shovel turned the soil in 1993, fulfilling a long-held dream of being debt-free. But to what end? To what end? That's the question that faces all people of faith from Solomon's days to our own. All who come together and consecrate a place like this. The temple does not exist for its own sake but for the sake of the glory of God, a God who cannot be contained in the heavens nor on the earth and most certainly not in this 
temple. And the temple did not exist even for the sake of Israel alone, but for the whole world that they were called to bless. As part of the dedication of the temple, Solomon issues several decrees, one of which was included in today's reading. All foreigners are to be welcomed in this temple to be received as those who are seeking Israel's God, who is really the God of all people. When you consider the time of Solomon and the customs of the nations and the religions that surrounded Israel in that time, this was a remarkable, radical decree. Most religions in those days, most societies in those days were deeply tied to the land and to the ethnic group that, uh, that inhabited it. For this nation, for this people, to say that all people are welcome in this place, that the world is invited to come to its doors, was a radical claim indeed for that time and frankly for our own. A place where the God of all could be proclaimed and God's way and will follow God's mission extended to all. So all communities of faith, when they build or when they rebuild, when they consecrate brick and mortar, should ask the same question. To what end? When we set out to eliminate all of that debt, we were very clear that the reason we were doing it was to expand our mission as a portion of our budget to be able to bring on pastoral staff to guide our mission and outreach efforts, to make our building more up-to-date and more accessible to people of all abilities. In other words, we sought to listen to the call of Christ to be a more outward-facing and inclusive church, a church that cares deeply for its own people and for the neighborhood that surrounds it, we sought to listen to the call of Christ to discover new ways to tell the story of the Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, to be more involved in our community, to serve our neighbors near and far. Every second Saturday, every donation we make to agencies throughout our region, every time we visit the borderlands in Mexico or Lebanon or Greece, every time we go to places like Mississippi or West Virginia, every neighbor we have welcomed into this place, every pre previously shut door we have opened, all of this can be traced to those dedications of this land, this building, dedicated to the glory of God, who is not bound in this building, but who works through it and through all who serve here to further God's shalom, God's peace and wholeness. Solomon, gathered in the new temple, could not have foreseen all the lives it would touch. And likewise, those who dedicated this congregation for its service 210 years ago in a small town called Franklin, could not have seen the ways God would work through faithful children of God through time 
through several buildings, through wars and depressions and pandemics, plural, through social changes, through presidents from James Madison on to the present day, up to that day in 1993 when the shovel broke ground in a sparse part of a burgeoning city, right up to a note-burning entry into a new day to a beautiful new organ and a renovated church and chancel to this moment right now where we sit full of so much uncertainty and promise. This moment in which God summons us forward to a new day. Our task is no different from Solomon's. To listen for the voice of the one who cannot be contained in this building and to follow without fear into the day God is preparing for us even now. Now many of you have joined this community since all these things have happened. Many of you have been here through them all. But we are all of us called in this moment to listen so that we might, may remember the past and learn from it and celebrate it, but boldly press on together into a future only God can know. Whenever I'm coming or going from here, I, like all of you, walk past the Memorial Garden. And I'm newly grateful every time that our church session in its wisdom, some 11 years ago now, did not put that garden somewhere far away from the beating heart of this place, but put it right in the center of things. All of us pass by that circle of grass, young and old, with the beautiful brick wall filled with names of saints who now live in a greater light. Occasionally when I walk by there, I remember that scene, maybe some of you do as well, from Dead Poets Society, where the character played by Robin Williams has the students looking at the display case of, of all of the old, old photos of students in that school who were long gone, and he imagines them saying to the current ones, Carpe diem, seize the day. I imagine those saints that we name in that garden and so many more who are at rest in other places, but now one in God's light. I imagine them saying, not necessarily seize the day, but be seized by the one who seized us, by the one whose eyes are open night and day toward this house, this house, set in the world to give glory to God and to be a blessing to all. May it be so. Amen.